0: Today, I walk a fine line. I always like to to let you know before I do. And this is a this is a a uh, a conversation uh, today that is uh, is on uh, thin ice. And never do is it my intention to uh, offend anyone. But I will say that there is. There is a supernatural weight, I believe, that if you're in tune, that a shepherd has for, uh, for God's people that causes uh, a, an honesty, and honesty comes out of love, truly. Yesterday, with one of my sons, we had a, just a super honest conversation. He wasn't in trouble or anything, but he's getting to the age where he's going to be making big decisions decisions that can either steer your life in the, in the right path or, or wreck it. And I talk very vividly and openly about physical things that could wreck his life. Um, and I did that because I love him. If I didn't love him, I, I wouldn't say any of those things. I would like, well, this is too hard of a conversation, so I, I don't, I, uh, I don't want to have that. But that's really not true love, is it? It's what I dig about Jesus. He was, he was honest enough because he loved people, and he wasn't willing to smooth things over and make them super easy just to, to get a bigger crowd or, or whatnot. So I wanted to, you to prepare that, prepare you for that. You know, I, today is about um, a message that I think reaches us all because sitting in a room full of human beings in, a, in a, an environment where we're going to talk about spiritual things, I fully realize that we're in many different places. Uh, there are some people that you're just trying to figure it out. Man, you're trying to figure God out, and, and there's, there's something in you that's working that is causing you to search for God. Uh, this happened in my life for three years. I searched for God. I, I grew up in a formal church. If I did a a job interview, I'd check the Christian box. That's who I saw myself as being. I agreed to all the bullet points of the Christian faith. I acknowledged, if you were asked, is Jesus the Son of God? Absolutely. Do you believe he came back from the dead? Absolutely. I believed all that. I acknowledged it, I, I should say. But if you were to look into my heart, um, things were quite different than what was on my resume. So I realized that there are those of you here that are, man, you're, you're, you got the oar in the water, and you're rowing, and that's cool. You're looking for God. What a great place to be. There's some of you that are, are here, and you're, uh, you know, it's like, it's like being a fan, uh, like on a sports team. I, you know, I'm, I'm a moderate uh, come-at-the-end-of-the-season fan. You know, like with, uh, with March Madness, you know, with the NCAA and all the basketball teams. I, I'm going to wait to watch until we're down to eight teams. I couldn't tell you the name of the coaches, the name of the players, and uh, any of that. But there's some people that can, right? I mean, they're like avid fans. I, I admire these kind of people. I admire the people that are fans like, you know, of the Rays. And uh, whether they're having a good season or a bad season or another bad season, uh, you know... Uh, you know they 're there man they're there like and I think that 's really cool, right? So I think that it's the same in the spiritual world. there's some people that man you're you're just avid Jesus fans, and uh, there's a passion in you uh, when we worship, when you hear the Word of God, when you s- serve and then there's there's some that are like hey man i'm I'm a little swallowed up by life right now and uh, and uh, you you acknowledge that Christ is who He says He is, but there are different people groups that we would say are more difficult to reach with the gospel. Um, I was just with two men this past week in, in, uh, from the Middle East, and the stories that they were sharing were riveting. Uh, this one particular guy kept flying into Baghdad after the U.S. invasion in 2003. And uh, and kept doing that and planted a church until his name was on a hit list and he couldn't do it anymore. Uh, changes your perspective when you hang out with people like that. Then they start talking about their friends. You remember remember this guy? Yeah, he's, he's dead now. Died for the faith. Uh, several people, their closest friends, killed pastors. Changes your perspective on the, on what passion is for Christ. But they're hard people groups to to reach, and I'm gonna I may surprise you today with uh, speaking about a people particular people group that's uh, hard to reach. Um, Jesus, when he approached different people, different people groups, uh, it was all kinds of people. You might remember that the disciples were they were just ordinary ordinary guys. In fact. Uh, they marveled in the book of Acts. People marveled at these guys like, man, these guys are just ordinary Joes, as we would say. They were, that guy was a fisherman. That guy was a tax collector. They were just everyday guys. There were other people that, that came to Christ who were uh, more uh, intellectually savvy. Uh, they were uh, professionals, that, and, and Christ spoke with them. There were other people that were in the religious institution, and and Christ approached them and spoke to them. So Christ was was speaking to all different kinds of people. And probably the most difficult people to reach are people in the religious institution. And that's where we're going to plant ourselves today. And uh, it's we see the brilliance of Jesus and how he answered and how he loved people enough. We have to redefine what love is. Love is not just being a nice guy. He loved people enough to speak truth. Today, we look at a guy that, if you know the Bible, you're familiar with him to to a degree, probably his name is Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus um, came to this intersection that was confusing for him. We're going to begin in John chapter 3 and verse 1. John uh, begins to lay out some details of a very critical intersection that I think applies to us um, in a very relevant way. Okay? Here we go. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, I'm guessing that most of you, like, I don't even know what any of that means. Some of you recognize the word Pharisees. Most of the time, it's a negative connotation. The Pharisees were those that they were the rule keepers of the religion, they looked down on Jesus for the most part. But I'm proposing to you that Nicodemus was not one of those guys. I believe that there was a sincerity about uh, Nicodemus. As I do about people who come to church and acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. That there's a sincerity, a genuineness of, like, I I think I'm doing the right thing here. And so when you look at the description, the Jewish ruling council was part of a body of men called the Sanhedrin. And it took a lot. It's almost like the Supreme Court. You know, someone doesn't become a judge the first year, and then they're nominated to the Supreme Court. There are many years of proving yourself in order to be, you know, nominated, etc. And this was the case with the Jewish ruling council In the Sanhedrin. There were seventy men, and the, and these men of the Jewish ruling council were at the upper uh, uh, part of the food chain. Of uh, so, what I learned from what we learned from that is that. Nicodemus had crossed a lot of T's and dotted a lot of I's across the years. We learn in the story that he was an older man. He was seasoned. And yet, being entrenched in this religious institution of faith and being a genuine man, something didn't click. Because we find out that he comes to Jesus, unlike all the rest of the Pharisees, or many of them, maybe some others did. Um, but he, he came to Jesus because I think when you read between the lines, something wasn't making sense to him in the familiarity of his religious institution. Now, keep in mind, this is a guy that hasn't taken it lightly. He's an avid fan He's on the Sanhedrin. He's on the ruling council here. And he is, he, man, he is, he is in. And because he's in, there, he's like, man, this, you know, cr- keeping the rules, doing all these things, uh, you know, pursuing God, this is where it's at. And then a guy named Jesus comes along. He starts touching people that others wouldn't touch. Like Brian's story today, he let an alcoholic come into his home and stay there for two months. There there were things that Jesus started doing, touching lepers, spending time with the Samaritans. They were enemies of the Jews. Spending time speaking to women, embracing children, all these things that seemed to be so life-giving. And Nicodemus is like, man... This is not getting it for me. There's some, there's some breakdown here that I've given my life to this, this institution of faith and yet I'm not getting what I'm seeing here. There's a breakdown. Have you ever had that happen to you? You think, man, you're, you're all in and it's like, man, it's not making sense. So this past week I'm in Jackson, Mississippi. I'm uh, working out in that, in that little hotel you know they call it a gym. It's not a gym. It's a work. It's a workout room. It's what it is, right? I hate the hotel workout room, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm uh, my, my disciple and I are we're keeping each other in track and accountable. And man, we're losing weight, and so I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going to do it. So you know, it's, and there's that eek factor of the 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 hotel workout room. It's so small. That you know, for an introvert and i 'm like running like next to you, I could put my arm around you, we're so close, and there 's nowhere, and then you got the guy seems inevitable you know who could lift three hundred million pounds, and he's like, Whoa! you know, and there I am, and so anyway it 's not a great experience, but I did, and then for whatever reason, sometimes they put the treadmill in front of a mirror, <laughs> which makes it even weirder, you know like <gasps> I'm seeing myself like, okay, now I know what I look like when I'm going to die. So um, that's pretty good. However, this week, the treadmill was looking out to a window uh, across the pool. And so I thought, well, man, that is, that is uh, this is a great view. But then I saw this thing. Then I'm like, huh, there's a breakdown here. And, that's, and I took a picture for you because I didn't think anybody would believe me. So I'm looking out of this pool. And if you look at the sign on the wall, it says, "Swim at your own risk." OK, so here's the problem. There's, there was no water in the pool. <laughs> See I'm getting that? And so I, I thought, well, that's weird, you know? It, there's, so this is what Nicodemus was saying. "Hey, swim, but there's no water." I've been entrenched in this, this religious institution. And man, do I relate to this story. I grew up 18 years of formal church. Ritual every week, robes, candles, nothing wrong with robes or candles, but robes and candles and creeds and and liturgy and singing the same thing and saying the same thing. And uh, that's all well and good because some people connect with that and I connect it with the uh, the music at, the, at uh, Mrs. Bush's funeral, they said the, the Apostles' Creed. I said it by memory as I was watching. I said it out loud uh, by memory. And it brought back this sense of ritualism that I grew up in. And yet when I left for home at 18 years old, I left all of that because, see, something wasn't connecting with me. I was a churchgoer. And I acknowledged who Christ was, but something was missing. So years later, when someone said, have you ever accepted Christ? I'm like, I I don't even know what that means because we never spoke of that. Do you have a relationship with God? I'm like, I didn't even know you could have a relationship with God on an individual personalized level. I never knew that. But I acknowledged who Christ was. But see, there was something that was, there was a breakdown. So that's the proposal. That's the backdrop of what was happening with Nicodemus. Otherwise, let me ask you a question. Why would he have come to Christ? If he were completely satisfied, why would he have come to Christ? And here's what we see in John chapter 3 and verse 2. This man who had given his entire life for religious faith and institution, he came to Jesus at night in John 3, 2. And he came to Jesus at night because he was genuine, but he was still not alive in God. And he still put a lot of weight on what people thought and his job security because he had spent all of his life keeping his his job and working his way up the, the ladder. And had his colleagues seen him come to Christ, the guy they hated, then his world would have fallen apart. Had he posted on Facebook, meeting with Jesus tonight at 8.30, it would not have gone well for him. So he came at night, and he said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Now, this distinguished him from the, from the majority of his colleagues because that was the very thing that ticked them off. When Jesus would make a bold statement that would make him equal to God, this is when the rest of the Pharisees became unraveled. When Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, meaning that he existed before Abraham, who was their hero, their faith hero, before he existed, I am, which equated him with God, and that they just, they blew up. So when Nicodemus looks at Jesus and says, I know that you're a teacher that is sent from God, he differentiated himself from every other Pharisee. This indicates to us, That Nicodemus had been watching Jesus. And it's further indicated by this. The next phrase he says, the next sentence he says, for no one, is this phrase, no one could perform Jesus the miracles, the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Now, sidebar, this is an amazing historic moment because Nicodemus at this point is not a Christian. And Nicodemus, who's a non-Christian, is acknowledging the fact that there was a man named Jesus Christ who was doing supernatural works. It's an amazing historic uh, documentation here. But when when Nicodemus comes to him, he uses this phrase, no one. No one could do these miraculous things unless you're from God. Now, let's be honest. If it's any of us and someone says that to us, like, ah, shucks, (laughs) ha, Thanks for, thanks for pointing out that I'm unique. Thanks for pointing out that I'm from God. Thanks for pointing out that I am, I'm doing these, these miraculous signs. Man, I appreciate you seeing that because the rest of your, your colleagues, they, you know, they somehow missed that. And so when, when you look at this, there you see the genuineness of Nicodemus. He's not playing a game. He says, man, I've been, I've been watching you. Jesus, listen. Jesus could have left it right there, and he could have said, "Man, I, I really, really appreciate that, and uh, let's just keep the conversation nice." But he penetrates the smog of religiosity. Jesus is not impressed by frou fru. Jesus is not impressed by by how uh, you know Christian lyrics can cross the the threshold of our lips. He's not impressed by any of that. Jesus looks right to the heart and watch the brilliant response. So Nicodemus uses this term, no one. And Jesus said, let me pick up on that. He says, no one could have Jesus. Nicodemus said, no one could do these miraculous signs unless they're from God. And then Jesus turns around and said, oh, I see, um, so we're speaking of no one? Okay, watch this, Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus in, re- in response says, well, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus. No one, speaking of no one, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born from above. Some translations say born a second time. Some translations say born again. I've avoided the word born again Unfortunately, in our culture, it has become, you know, a political uh, compartment that, you know, et cetera. But it doesn't take the truth away. Born a second time or born from above. I like that language because he explains that we're all born from abo- from below. In other words, on earth, we have a mother, but we're not all born from above. We're all born once, but not all are born twice. Now, what what... What is the critical moment here in this this intersection with Jesus is this. Nicodemus is a man who's genuinely looking for God and he comes to Christ and he says, I acknowledge that you are from God. I acknowledge that there there is a supernatural connection and I acknowledge, I wouldn't even say that he would acknowledge, he said, you're a teacher of God. And I would say he would have gone so far as to at the the conversation, I acknowledge that you are the son of God. And Jesus is saying, hey, that's all well and good, but don't miss it. I'm going to love you enough to tell you the truth. All of that acknowledgement is not good enough. All of that acknowledgement, all of that church going, all that crossing the T's and dotting the I's and all the familiarity of your ritual and your, fam- uh, and your faith and uh, um, uh, com- institution, all those things. Jesus is saying, I love you enough not to just take the compliment and be impressed by it because there's something, Nicodemus, we've got to get to. And it has nothing to do with religion. It has everything to do with the status of your soul and your spirit. I love Jesus for that. I love him for that. Thank God he wasn't impressed by the the compliments of men. And so, so you have to put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes. And if someone said, hey, you got to be born a second time, it would be no different than say, Jesus saying, you got to fly to the moon. That's all well and good, but you got to fly to the moon. And if someone said, if someone said hey, you got to fly to the moon, I'm going to say, okay, well, how am I going to do that? And the second thing I'm going to ask is, and why would I do that? Why, why is that necessary? And this is exactly what Jesus begins to lay out. Because in the very next response, John, uh, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, verse 4, Nicodemus says, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Indicating that he was an old man. How can, how can a person, how, how can this happen? Surely... He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Like, can you tell me how? So Jesus said, okay, let me answer you. You may be sitting here right now saying, yeah, how is that possible? What are we talking about being born from above, being uh, having some second kind of life? How does, that, how does that transpire? And so Jesus, again, brilliantly begins to lay it out. Watch this. In John chapter 3 and verse 6, Jesus said, Let me explain it to you, Nicodemus. You see, flesh gives birth to flesh. That means that a, a physical mother gives birth to a physical uh, baby, and that flesh gives flesh, uh, birth to flesh. But it's the spirit that gives birth to spirit. You see, what that means is there's something that was defunct with Nicodemus' spirit. Because Jesus is saying, I look, and there's something in your spirit, and there's something off there, and so therefore, it needs to come alive for the first time. We're not talking about what you acknowledge intellectually, what you agree to mentally. We're talking about your spirit. And he says, so in order to be born a second time from above, there's something that supernaturally needs to happen with the spirit. It's like Adam. You remember when God created Adam? We find in Genesis chapter two, God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. At that point, he was just this carcass that God had created, a frame of flesh and blood. And when Nicodemus came that day, he was a frame. He was flesh and blood. His heart was beating but he had not become a living being spiritually. And that's the, in, in the Hebrew, and this Genesis passage, the word for breath is ruach, which has this kind of neat wind sound because the same word for wind is the same for spirit. And if you look deeply in the story of John uh, 3, when, he, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born from above, he, he begins to talk about the wind. He says, you don't know where the wind comes from. You know, it's coming from this direction this day and this direction from this day. In other words, Nicodemus, you cannot compartmentalize the answer. God is a spirit. Our our spirit needs to come alive, and it has nothing to do with what we agree with intellectually. It's when God comes to us and ignites it, and Jesus said, and this is how it happens. It comes through spirit not flesh, not religion, not agreeing with certain concepts. He said, let me tell you a second way it happens. In John chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus said, "'No one has ever gone into heaven "'except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man.'" Last week, Rob spoke on the necessity of Jesus going to heaven, because when he positioned himself in that position in heaven, he could now view seven-plus billion people and interact with them at all times. And Jesus said, you know, the reason that I can tell you that you must be born from a, a, a second time and it's ignited by the Spirit is because I am able to accomplish that after I die and go to heaven. You see, you remember Joseph in the Old Testament, uh, when he uh, you know, was in prison for a while, and then they got, he came out of prison, and he was elevated to the top position, almost like secretary of agriculture of the entire, uh, of the entire country, and, and he was in the position when all the region faced famine. He was now in the position to feed everybody. This is Jesus. He's now in the position he, to feed everybody. Listen, if Jesus were laying in a hole in the ground in the Middle East like other religious leaders, I couldn't follow him because he couldn't bring life to my spirit because he's dead and in the grave. You see, Jesus said, look, you've got to be born a second time and it comes from the spirit. And that is, a- and that is able to, to happen. That is possible because I'm, I'm, I'm the one that came from heaven. I'm going back there. And then he says this in John chapter 3 and verse 14, just just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Number one, it comes to an igniting of the Spirit. Number two, it comes because Christ is in heaven and can do that. Number three, it comes from believing in him. And I've got to say to you that in the English language... Here's where we're going to tap the brakes. Here's where I'm going to walk on fine, uh, fine line and thin ice. I believe that in the English language, the most dangerous word in our entire vocabulary is the word believe. Because it means different things. It's like we've talked about. There are certain words in the English language that just don't capture it, like love, right? I love my cat, I love my sneakers, and I love my wife. There should be some kind of distinguishing word for my wife, right? That she shouldn't be on equal planes in the word love with my sneakers, which are pretty smelly and dirty because I work out in hotel workout rooms. (laughs) You see, the word believe is... uh, It can be interpreted as I agree with the facts. I believe that. But this was the predicament that Nicodemus was in. I believe that you are from God. He's saying to Jesus. I believe that you are a teacher sent from God. I believe that these miraculous signs are from God. I believe all of that. I believe that. But see, when you dig down a little deeper and you look at the biblical definition of faith and belief, the word faith is the word pistis. And that word faith is not just like, I okay, I agree with that, but the word faith is that you are completely, absolutely, utterly dependent. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall off this stage, and I'm going to look at Brian and say, I, are you going to catch me? Are you going to catch me? And I'm going to fall into your arms, and I'm going to have the faith to do that. See, his arms are crossed. I don't have faith enough. He's going to do it right now. He doesn't look engaged like, uh, man, I'm, okay, come, come on, come on, come on. I had a guy sitting here in the first service, he said, come on, do it. I'm like, no, nope, I don't have faith that you can actually do it. <laughs> it's not that I believe that you would Are we be willing to, but there, are you able? And when I know that you're able, I can let go. And faith means utterly dependence, utter dependence on you, utter trust in you. What does that mean? That means that Christ came, he died to absorb the sins of humanity. And I can agree that he did that and still not have faith in that. Faith means I no longer am going to trust one ounce of my own good behavior, one ounce of my own uh, uh, ability to get to God, one ounce of Sunday school, one ounce of attending church, one ounce of the golden rule, one ounce of being a decent neighbor, one ounce of being a good parent. None of that counts. None of that brings my spirit to life. Christ said, fall on me and completely, 100% trust in the blood of Jesus, which was shed for your sin. It is not enough to just agree with it. God needs for us to trust him. That's not the only thing that pistis means. Pistis means that not only will I 100% trust you, but you have my deepest allegiance. People ask me, what do you think of evang- uh, evangel- uh, uh, the evangelical, evangelical world in America? It scares me to death. It scares me to death. Do you agree that Jesus, Son of God, he died for you, blah, blah, blah? Just say this little prayer. Like, wow, really? The word repentance has become politically incorrect. And it doesn't mean, you know, and, and, and some, because we've you know, abused it, You're smoking cigarettes. Repent. Oh, great. Boy, that really attracts me to God. How about you? (laughs) It's not the behavior. It's the independence that we're repenting from. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live it like I want. I'm going to do what I want. And God said, would you turn around? 180 degrees and repent from that independent, self-reliant life and fall on me with everything you have and give me your allegiance to say, man, I'm going to give you my allegiance knowing you're going to blow it, knowing you're going to blow it from time to time. You see, if you are serious about following Christ, the word repentance is not going to offend you or turn you off. Because someone who's serious about coming to Christ understands the desperation. This is like Nicodemus. I'm fully convinced that Nicodemus came to Christ in his lifetime. And I'll, I'll show you why later. But I'm fully convinced. And if Jesus said to him, you've got to be born again, and you've got to, to, to repent and come and change your life and quit being self-reliant, I don't think he would have been offended at all. When someone told me you need to, to turn your life around, the reason it didn't offend me was because I was desperate for a savior. When a man like Brian gets baptized and he says, I was desperate. I got thrown out of my house. I couldn't get over the alcoholism. I couldn't get through it. I couldn't get under it. I couldn't get around it. I was desperate for God. You have to repent. Great. You got to give me your allegiance. Great. Because God, I want you. This tiptoeing around repentance, this tiptoeing around turning our God our, our life to God, this tiptoeing over full allegiance and given a half-baked gospel, we must, someone must stand up and say that is not the truth of the gospel. And I'll tell you why. You think more, you're really angry. I think I may be angry. <laughs> I'm getting angrier. <laughs> Aren't you glad you sat in the front? He's <laughs> just like, punch your lights out. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, what if if Jesus would have said, hey man, way to go for acknowledging me and sent Nicodemus away. He wouldn't have sent him away from that conversation. He would have sent him away from God for eternity. We're playing for keeps here. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's nothing to be manipulated and to be made cool. This is life or death. And it must be straight up. You may be searching for God and like, this is intense. It's intense. It's intense. Jesus was intense. You know why? Listen, listen so carefully. Eternity is intense. Eternity away from God is more intense than your human mind could ever comprehend. Ever. And I love you enough to tell you this. Here's the hardest people group to reach, in my opinion, in America. Churchgoers. Churchgoers. No, I know that's shocking. And maybe half of you don't like me anymore. <laughs> that's all right. What do, we, what do you mean by that, Steve? I mean, if we've only relied on church to win our relationship with God. Church is important. It's a rhythm that we have with God and community. But if we've only relied on that thinking that we can acknowledge Jesus and show up to church consistently or once in a while, and our spirit is fine with God, it's just not the truth. And I really hope, I really do, that you'll understand that my motivation is that I love you enough to say that. I'm not sure it grows big churches, but who gives a flip? Can we say it that way? Can you say flip in church? Is flip okay? <laughs> it's probably in the Bible somewhere. i would be all right. I could justify Okay. So now we get to the, the crux of why this is so important, okay? I've I've indicated the first one, is that our spirit before we come to Christ is dead. And dead in the Bible means separation. It's, It's the hardest thing about death. My son was born not even a year after my father was killed in a car accident. And honestly, there have been a hundred times where I've said, gosh, I wish he would have known my boy. He would have loved him. My dad was telling jokes all the time. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, my youngest one loves jokes and riddles. And all. I'm like, oh man, they would have had a great time. But see, we're separated. And for now. And that's the hardest thing about death, isn't it? It's that separation part. And so when, when, I, when the Bible says your spirit is dead, what it means is it's, it is it is. It is away from God, and that's why in in, in Genesis, when when, um, Adam sinned against God, the first thing he did, he he hid himself, and he separated himself from God, And, and God came in looking for him. That's why the prodigal son, by the way, had separated himself from the father, and when he came back, when the son came back, you remember the father said, my son was dead, but now is alive because he had come back to the father. But well, wait a minute. What do you mean he was dead? He walked back, didn't he? He was dead on the inside. This is what Adam did to us and for us. Sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death, separation, through sin. In this way, death came to all men. Separation came to all men. We are born separated from God. Death came to all men because we all are sinners. We've all sinned. Roman, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, speaking to, to those who were disciples of Christ, you were dead, you were separated in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead, separated, in sin. You see, it may be offensive, not intended to be offensive, but if, if, no matter if you've been to church a million years or you've never, this is the first time you've ever been to church, it doesn't matter. And that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is your spirit. And your spirit is separated until God, through the power of Jesus being raised from the dead, sends his spirit and breathes life into your spirit. And then it becomes alive. And now you've got connection with God and life changes. Amen. It's not about religion, you see. It's not about acknowledging this or that truth. It's about, is your spirit dead or is your spirit alive? That's the first reason. And the second reason that is necessary for this to happen is that there's no way that we can live for Christ without the power of Christ within us. In other words, We need the fuel. In in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, the mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, watch, nor can it do so. If you don't have Christ in your life fueling, this is why you you fail over and over and over and over. It's why a man says, I was steeped in alcoholism until Christ, I allowed Christ to fuel me, and now I've been 12 months sober. Verse 8, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, big word, if... The spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Listen carefully. This is a litmus test for us, whether you've been coming to church forever or you have never been before. Do you find yourself failing over and over and over and over in your own strength? Then you may ask this question. Is Christ living in you? Is the Spirit of God living in you? Or are you tapping into the Spirit of God who is living in you? Because Christ can be in us, but we're not surrendering to him to allow the Spirit of God to work in us. Hey, there are times, there's weeks, days, seasons for me where I'm not leaning surrendering to the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit to do the full work that he wants to do. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it is Christ living in me. So I typically run my gas tank down to, until the light comes on, <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, that's my indicator to get some, uh, some gas. So this week, though, um, it came on uh, like two days ago. And then I forgot. I forgot that it had come on two days ago. And so I understand that when the light comes on, doesn't mean you only got, you know, a sniff left. There's some in there. They're not telling you, right? And so, but then yesterday I was driving. like, it just hit me. I'm like, oh, man, the light came on like two days ago. And I looked, and lo and behold, that needle was below the E. Now, for whatever it is in my wiring, I don't know, but it became exciting. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like, this is awesome. That's stupid, but I i don't know, whatever. So in my mind, I'm like, I got to get serious because it's been on for three days and I've been driving all over the place. And so... I knew where there's a gas station, and so I literally was kind of mapping it out that if I accelerate right now, then I can coast if I run out right now. And then I'd hit a red light, like, come on! You know? <laughs> and but then I I got I I wheeled into the gas station. There's a guy who's a lawn care guy putting, you know. Uh, gas in his uh, deals there. And so I'm sure that it was odd that a grown man got out of his car and went, woo, made it. That's what I did. I'm like, wow, I made it. I felt so good that I actually made it. And I, I feel sometimes this is the way that we run our lives. That I'm not walking with God, but if I can just accelerate it a little bit, then I can, I can coast. And if you find yourself failing over and over and over and over, I propose to you that it's time to do a check in your spirit. First of all, do you have the spirit of God living in you? I didn't ask if you go to church. And if you're convinced the spirit of God is living in you, are you leaning into him and yielding? It's why Christ said you must be born a second time. Not only to bridge the the gap between you and God, but to ignite you to be able to live for him. There's so many things that I do for God that has nothing to do with Steve. It has everything to do with, God, I can't do this. I'm yielding to you. Here's the last thing. So I'm on the, I, so sometimes I run out this place called the celery uh, fields. It's brutal. It's really brutal. It's this big hill and you got I had to run up and down, up and down, and up and down. <laughs> and that, and I was actually running out there this morning. And I had this thing in my head of the, the goal of my weight that, you know, I, I want to get down to a certain weight. And about the time I I felt like I just wanted to stop, I just, that number, I kept saying, that's the number I'm going to get to. It's the number I'm going to get to. In other words, that goal was affecting whether or not I was going to push through something difficult. We do it all the time. I know you do it all the time. When the Spirit of God comes in us, there's something that urges us on past this lifetime. It helps us to deal with the tumors and the cancers of this world. It helps us to see them differently. It helps us to determine what we're going to buy and what we're not going to buy. What we're going to invest and what we're not going to invest. What we get excited about and what we don't get excited about. You see, we must be born again in order to bridge the gap with God. We must be born again in order to live for God, to, to have the spirit of God within us, to give us the ability to live for him. But when the spirit of God comes into our life, it, it gives us a taste of him and a taste of eternity. And the things in, on this planet, they diminish. They diminish. Watch. Paul says it this way. He's talking about our body as a tent. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Now, we know that if the earthly tent, our body, that we live in is destroyed by death, physical death, we have a building from God. It's going to be a new body, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan. You see, while we're here in this earthly tent, we groan, longing to be clothed with our new body with a heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed with that new body, we will not be found exposed anymore, naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and we are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our new body, our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by the life that he's going to give us Now it is God who has created us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You see, I question those who claim to be followers of Christ that have no interest in the internal things of Christ, who never yearn for him and long for him and long for heaven, that it seems like this existential, uh, existential world is central to their life. What next birthday party are we going to do? What next kids thing are we going to do? What next thing am I going to buy? And I'm so excited about You know, this is what happens in midlife crisis for men. When we live without Christ, we get somewhere in the middle of our life and we say, is this it? And, men, and some men have affairs because this life is not exciting enough or we buy a super sports car and feel like 16 again because deep down we're looking for something and the thing that we're looking for is this thing that God puts in us the spirit of God that we may look for something different and no matter how hard it gets no matter how scintillating the world wants to uh, uh, to tempt us with it doesn't matter It's why, you know, when we're talking about Cambodia, this is not kids in a building in, in some country in Asia. This is an eternal investment. The things that we're doing around the world and in this community, it's an eternal investment. And it's an eternal investment when you go over and spend an hour with a kid during Sunday school, during kids' church. It's not about construction paper and rulers and Elmer's glue. It's about investing eternity in the next generation, it scares me for Christians that don't do anything for Christ. It scares me for Christians to say, you yeah, know, I'm not sure if I want a disciple. Really? It's an eternal investment. It may be that you do a check in your spirit and say, man, I haven't longed for heaven ever. I'm, not, I'm more interested in my, my car than I am God. It may be that you do a a spirit check. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the pistis, you're in the faith, utterly dependent and 100% allegiant to Christ. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? It's tough, isn't it? It's tough. But it's so honest and entrenched with love. You see, I think that that day with Nicodemus, Jesus was not concerned whether Nicodemus would be mad at him. He was more concerned on the day that Nicodemus would give an account for his life that then he would be mad at him. Like, how come you didn't tell me, man? How come you didn't tell me the religion didn't get it? How come you didn't tell me that church attendance didn't get it? How come you didn't give me a litmus test of, of living for God and yearning for eternal things. How come you didn't say that? See, that's not not love. You see, I do believe that Nicodemus gave his heart to Christ. Let me tell you why. You might remember the name, if you know the New Testament, Joseph of Arimathea. He came to ask for the body of Jesus. It was a bold move. Joseph was a Pharisee. And he took a guy with him, To carry the body of Jesus, it's hard to to carry a corpse on your own. He took a guy with him to take the Savior's body and place it in a tomb. His name was Nicodemus, John chapter 19. And listen, they didn't carry the body at night, they carried it openly. They carried, Nicodemus went that day. And I believe he had given his heart to Christ, his full allegiance, and come alive. Because on that day, he wasn't ashamed. Eternal things mattered than my job security. Eternal things mattered than my reputation. Eternal things matter whether or not people, uh, more than people, are mad at me or not. I'm going to take the body of Jesus, and I'm now alive in Christ, like it or not. See? I sat in the back seat of a car this week in Jackson, Mississippi, meeting our contact who has translated our discipleship tools in Arabic and translating them in Arabic. His name is Charlie. Charlie is the the representative for Chuck Swindoll. Very close friends with Chuck, and uh, he's been he grew up in Lebanon. His brother is in our church. That's how I met him. After the 2003 U.S. invasion uh, of Iraq, Charlie, at his own risk, was willing to fly in to Baghdad. He said it it was chaotic. And he began a Bible study in a home with a young man that was sitting in the driver's seat in this car. And they spoke about the dad of this young guy, and they they. They formed this Bible study, and it grew to about 20, and they said, let's, let's plant this as a church. And this young man's father became the pastor until Charlie and this young man were put on a hit list. And they, they had to take different routes to go in. But they never stopped. They began to talk about their close friends. Oh, you remember this guy? Yeah, he's dead. Remember this guy? Yeah, they shot him. You remember this guy? Yeah, they martyred him. When you hang around people like that, you feel this sense of eternity, that that matters a lot more than this. People who are putting their lives on the line, these are not churchgoers. These are not people that just acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. These are people that say, I am utterly yours. You have my full allegiance. And I am a Christ follower. How about you? How about you? I say it with all the love that a shepherd can say. I truly would am concerned for our culture. Truly concerned. And I'm asking you with courage and humility to examine your heart, to say, has Christ really ignited my life? And does he have my true allegiance? And I'm asking you to do that together now as we pray. Father, thank you for loving us enough to not just... Play religion. Thank you that Jesus was willing to love people enough to cut through compliments, to cut through the smog of religion and all of that. Because it matters for the here and now and it matters for eternity. So, Father, we're going to do something that's not only difficult but perhaps impossible for us god and therefore we're going to rely right now every single one of us god we need your spirit right now you've told us to examine ourselves that's what your word says examine yourselves and i and i'm i'm praying now god that each of us will examine ourselves have we been born Ignited by your spirit. Even though we may have gone to church for a long time, even maybe this is the first time we've ever gone to church, we're searching for you for the first time. It doesn't matter, God. None of those categories matter. We're human beings with a spirit that needs to be ignited by the power of the Holy Spirit, capable by Jesus died for us and came back from the dead, positioning himself, positioning himself with the capacity to ignite our life, our spirit. In this time of prayer, as you're examining yourself, let me just throw out some things to help with that process. Do you feel in rhythm with God? Or have you always felt that there's a separation. Second, do you feel like the fuel of the Holy Spirit is helping you overcome things in your life? Or do you have a pattern of failing over and over and over by your genuine human effort? And finally, yearn? Do you crave heaven? Do you have interest in eternal things or is it all about this life? Is there something in you that can't wait to see Jesus or does that just fall on your your ears and it's indifferent? whether you've been in church or you're searching for God for the first time I'm wondering today if you're so desperate as I was when I found Christ if you're so desperate for God that in humility and courage in this moment of prayer you'd raise your hand toward God and say it's me I, I want God to be alive for you for the first time is there we wouldn't embarrass you for anything don't be ashamed in this moment before God would you say to God right now I want for the first time to come alive in you God And would you raise your hand to him with no shame at all right now anyone anyone sitting here this is don't feel awkward, it's not awkward. It's an intersection where God may be moving you. you thank you so much. Thank you, you can put your hand in. Thank you to God. What, what courage, what humility. We across crossed the room on the first service, had five or six people just raised their hands, and say, I'm so desperate for God. I wanna be alive in God. Is there anyone else before we continue in prayer? Thank you so much. Thank you. You can put your hand out. Thank you. God is moving. God is moving. Don't resist him. This is not a, a manipulation a ploy. It's a plea to you. Don't resist him if he's moving. One last, one last question. Is is it you today? Is there anyone else today? Is there anyone else today that would say, yes, God, I'm not gonna resist you? father we are so grateful God, for moving and that you're alive and you're willing god to create in us a new life we pray for these who have had the courage and the humility to raise their hand before you and perhaps there are others sitting in this room and i invite you to pray in from your own heart and your own words god i want you in my life and i and god i I'm asking you to ignite my dead spirit to life. Father, I'm turning my life around. I I repent from living my own self-reliant, independent life away from you, God. I'm turning from that, and I'm utterly trusting in Jesus who absorbed all my sins on the cross. So God, forgive me for my past, to you as my Savior and God I want you to be my Lord and I'm giving you my life I'm giving you my allegiance God I want to follow you I want my life to be yours so father here I am bring me alive today your son was dead God but now is alive Father, great, we're so grateful, deeply grateful, profoundly grateful, eternally grateful for loving us so much to speak truth. For that reason, God, what else could we do but to worship you, to thank you, to love you, to follow you, to give our all? We praise you in the name of Jesus.